Hello, and welcome to the Hardcore Zen Podcast. My name is Brad Warner. I'll be your host. I'm the author of Hardcore Zen, The Other Side of Nothing, Letters to a Dead Friend About Zen, Don't Be a Jerk, Sit Down and Shut Up, and many other fine books about Zen Buddhism and other stuff. This podcast is sponsored only by your donations. And if you want to donate to support this podcast, please go to the URL hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is hardcorezen.info slash donate. There you will find links to my PayPal and my Patreon accounts. Those are my main and usually my only ways of making a living, and I really appreciate your support. But as I always say, this podcast is offered for free, so you don't got to support me if you don't want to support me. All right, and we are still working on Dogen's essay, Komyo, which is variously translated as divine light or brightness or radiant light, among other things. And in the previous episode, we left off with Dogen telling us, at least in my paraphrased version, something like, this is why the intro to the Lotus Sutra says, this light illuminates the 18,000 Buddha lands to the east. This is the light put into the form of words. So that's, that's the last thing he told us, and this next bit of the essay continues on from there. So let's, uh, let's just jump right into it. So here's what he says next. Or at least this is, uh, I'm reading from my paraphrase, but I'll be referencing the Nishijima Cross and other versions of of the the more standard versions of the uh, translations of of the piece as we go on. So here we go. Let's talk about what this phrase means. This is, uh, this is my version of Dogen talking to us now. The light we're referring to here is the Buddha's light. Illumination of the East is the East's illumination. In other words, it means oneness between illumination and the place being illuminated. That little bit there that I just said, it, uh, oneness between the illumination and the place being illuminated. That's not actually in Dogen's uh, writings. He just says something like, this is the Nishijima Cross version, it says, illumination of the East is the East's illumination. And then he leaves it at that. The footnote in the Nishijima Cross version is where I got that that bit... um, Master Dogen suggested oneness between illumination and place. So I just kind of stuck that in there. So just full disclosure there. Then uh, Dogen goes on to say, East doesn't mean this place or that place. And Nishijima Roshi's footnote here says, doctrines of this place means materialistic philosophies which affirm indulgence in this world, and doctrines of that place means idealistic philosophies which affirm life in the next world. And he's referring to the phrase, Arekore no Zokuron, which I would translate as uh, more or less meaning ideas about this and that. So, Nishijima Roshi is kind of reading into it. Uh, I trust his interpretation, but I, I'm pointing out to you, dear listener, that it is a bit of an interpretation here. So, he was very much into this idea of Dogen talking about the four philosophies, in which he would say Dogen talked about materialistic philosophy, idealistic philosophy, the philosophy of action, and the philosophy of reality. These were the four phases that he always talked about. And materialistic philosophy, as he says here, uh, which uh, affirms indulgence in this world. So, um, indulgence in, he would always say, uh, sense perception. So, what he would say is that matter is actually sense perception, which you know, if you think about it, that's true. What what is matter? I mean, we we imagine that matter is something out there. Like you're probably listening to this on a, a, a laptop or a, a phone of some sort, I would imagine. 
and you assume that that is a material object that is out there, separate from your body, you know, somewhere in your hand or, or wherever it is on a table or wherever, and and that it's out there and and that it really exists. But all you really know about it is the stimulation that it gives to your sense organs, to your body, to your hand, you know, whatever you're feeling in it, to your eyes, to your ears, etc., etc. So in the end, matter is just stimulation of your sense organs. This is what uh, Nishijima Roshi would say. And I always, whenever he would go on that tangent, I would say, well, your sense organs themselves are actually stimulation of your sense organs. So it gets really convoluted there. So that's, that's one of the things he would say. And then he said idealistic philosophies which affirm life in the next world, which is a kind of a, a funny and interesting way to put it. But, you know, again, if you think about it, idealistic philosophies do tend to in his words, affirm life in the next world. Uh, he's probably thinking there when he's writing this about religions. You know, religions tend to affirm life in the next world. So you're you're doing what you do in this life for the sake of a future life in a next world. In in Christian terms, it's the life in heaven. In Buddhist terms, it's uh, sometimes the life in the pure land. In, if you're a pure land Buddhist, or the life in another incarnation. If you're if you're hoping, well, the pure land is also a next incarnation. But even Zen Buddhists often believe in life in a in a another incarnation. Hopefully, a better incarnation. Sometimes in another world other than this, or sometimes in a better version of this world where you get incarnated as something, you know, grander than you are now, something like that. Yeah, let's just move on from there because that's a that's a deep and sticky area which I think is a bit a bit of a tangent from what we want to talk about in this essay. But as I always say, I welcome questions and comments. So if, if any of these tangents sound juicy to you and you want me to talk more about them, you can write to me at bw at hardcorezen.info and I'm perfectly happy to dig into some of these tangents I go on. But for now, that's not what I want to talk about. So let's, let's just keep going with the essay. Okay, uh, so moving right along, the essay goes, it means the center of the universe, in other words, you yourself. And I made a note to myself in the, in the essay, uh, which I wrote, I'm interpreting Dogen's phrase, middle of a fist, kento no chuo, literally center of a fist head, following Nishiyama and Stevens. Uh, I don't have the book right out here in front of me to give you the actual quote, but just from memory. Uh, Nishiyama and Stevens' version of Shobo Genzo gives this line as something like, it means the center of the universe. I'm not sure exactly what words they use. Whereas other translations uh, don't say that. Uh, let's see, I'm looking at the Nishijima cross version, and I think they just say yeah, they just say, the East is beyond secular doctrines of this place and that. We already did that. It is the heart of the Dharma doctrine in the middle of a fist. So, the Nishijima and Cross tend to give you a very literal uh, reading of anything Dogen tells you. So, you know, it's it's very raw and uninterpreted. So, when you read a phrase like, in the middle of a fist... You know, if you're me, you don't know what to do with that. So, I kind of appreciate a version like the Nishiyama Stevens version of Shobo Genzo, where they do go ahead and interpret it for you. But you have to kind of be careful with that kind of version because it's... You know, in a way, it's a bit dishonest. That's the first phrase that came to mind. And I, I don't want to say dishonest because I don't think they're deliberately being deceitful or anything. But it's not what Dogen actually wrote. He, he wrote middle of a fist. But what does he mean by middle of, hit of a fist? And we have to kind of try to interpret what the hell he, he probably meant. And to me, I think the Nishiyama Stevens interpretation of, of the center of the universe is pretty good because Dogen is trying to indicate something very close, 
you know, to to ourselves, the middle of a fist. I'm I'm as I'm speaking this into the microphone here. I'm making a fist. Of course, you can't see that, but I but I'm trying to do that to give myself a sense of of what he might mean. So something very very held very very close, and Dogen. Uh, liked to give that, give these kind of images of something very close as as saying that you are in a sense the center of a universe with no center. To give the phrase that my first teacher Tim McCarthy liked to use, to he was also paraphrasing Dogen, but he he called it the center of a universe with no center. So I think that's what he means here. But just again, full disclosure, that's not exactly what Dogen said. So, moving right along in my paraphrase, here's the next bit. The word East describes a specific place rather than an abstraction. Now, here again, I'm being interpretive. Uh, Nishijima Cross says in this section, even though the word East restricts the East, it is describing eight pounds of brightness. Now, their footnote here, the Nishijima Cross footnote says, eight pounds of brightness means the concrete reality of brightness, not abstract or purely spiritual brightness. And of course, they don't say pounds. Uh, if you want to be really persnickety or, or what's, what's the word? Um, oh, you know, picky about it. Uh, Hachiryo. Hachi is eight and dyo is an old form of measurement before uh, Japan converted to the metric system, and a dyo is, you know, more or less a pound. I, I don't know exactly how many uh, kilograms are in a, a dyo or, or whatever, how many grams. But anyway, it's a, it's a form of measurement, and it's probably, you know, close enough to a pound. So when he says something like eight dyo or pounds of brightness, he's trying to give us a sense of something that's not an abstraction, that's, that's a, a reality. But of course, it's a weird thing, you know, even in ancient Japanese to say eight pounds of brightness is like what you can't measure brightness in pounds. That's silly. But he's trying to give us a, a sense that what he's talking about isn't an abstraction. It's a, it's a kind of a, a concrete thing, a real thing. So, uh, moving right along. Just as the light we're talking about here is real and not an abstraction or metaphor, this light is also not just some kind of spiritual brightness. There is East in this world, and there is East in other worlds. And that is uh, pretty much what he says. Uh, the Nishijima and Cross version says uh, this land and other lands, but worlds and other worlds is is good enough for our usage. It's kind of the same thing. And if you're if you're like me and a weirdo, and you're kind of a science fiction fan and all this, I hear phrases like this, and I go, "Ooh, this land and other lands." Now Nishijima. Roshi was kind of critical of me for for being like this. So, you know, take take this as a word of caution. So I'm telling you stuff that my own teacher would be critical of me for probably for telling you, but I'm going to tell you anyway that when I hear stuff like this, I think he's he's kind of opening us up to the idea that there are other worlds than this one. Now, Nishijima Roshi was very adamant that what we are concerned about in Buddhist practice is this world, and I completely agree with that. Uh, I think that that is the main thing we are concerned about, and we are not concerned with other worlds or what may be going on there or what, you know, or trying to get there. You know, it, it, that's not the point of Buddhist practice. And, and I say that because I think a lot of people think that is the point of Buddhist practice, is to go from this world to some other world, like the world of enlightenment, which they imagine to be some some other rarefied sort of place that isn't here, that's some other, you know, special, I don't know, other land, other, other, other place. Um, but uh, we're, we're concerned about this world and not other worlds. However, 
I think that Buddhist cosmology has in it the, a place for the existence of other worlds, whether they be planets where there are sentient life forms, something like us, like science tells us probably exist, although we have yet to find direct evidence of any of them, but we can just look up in the nighttime sky and say, yeah, probably circling some of those stars we can see at night are things something like us. You know, there are probably beings a little bit like us who have cities and philosophies and maybe their own versions of Dogans and Buddhas and, and whatnot. They they probably exist out there. And there are probably other planes of, of reality and so on that, that exist. Uh, and that that all is probably a real thing. But... Having said that, our concern is the world in front of us, the world as manifest here and now, and that is what we're working on in our practice. So, there you go. So, let's continue. As for the thing about 18,000 Buddha lands, when the sutra says 18,000, it's like saying a bazillion. And yet, this too isn't a mere abstraction. Still, it's something beyond numbers that you could count. Now, what it actually says is... Uh, this is the Nishijima and Cross version. It says, As for the meaning of 18,000, a 10,000 is half a fist and is half the mind half of the mind here and now, it is not always a matter of ten units of a thousand or of myriad, myriad, hundred, myriads, and so on. So, yeah, I'm being interpretive here, but what I think he's trying to say to us is don't be too concerned with that number, that number 18,000, uh, as, as, you know, as if that's an exact number that we're supposed to worry about. He's, he's being a bit poetic here, but I think his audience, his original intended audience, the people who he's actually speaking to 800 years ago, would have understood that to mean, you know, something like what I put in my, in my uh, paraphrase of it. It's kind of like saying a bazillion. Because 18,000 is a number that you'll come across in a lot of Buddhist writings. It, it was kind of their way of saying just, it's sort of like saying infinite. You have to remember that back in those days, you know, the numbers of things that people would routinely deal with in terms of money or in terms of, I don't know, cattle or in terms of beads or in terms of units of corn or, you know, I don't know what people would deal with 800 or 1,000 years ago, but they were smaller than the units people of today deal with. So, a number like 18,000 sounded so big as to be, you know, ridiculous and, and you might as well be talking, you might as well say a bazillion. So, that's, that's what I, that's how I put it there. All right, so let's keep moving on. The next part gets kind of interesting. Here we go. Buddha lands means the inside of our own eyeballs. Now, I didn't even change that very much. It, he, the Nishijima Cross says, uh, Nishijima Cross translation says, uh, Buddha lands means the inside of the eyes. So I didn't even change that. Uh, when the sutra says illuminating the east, don't picture it as some kind of science fiction type ray beam shooting out eastward. Now, of course, you're going to, uh, red flags are probably going up in your mind and you're going, ah, Brad, change that. Well, I did. Here's what the Nishijima Cross version says there. It says, if when we see and hear the words illuminating the East, we assume and learn that it is as if a line of white silk were extending to the East, that is not learning the truth. So, I, I just tried to come up with a more contemporary metaphor of a science fiction type ray beam. I think I'm, I'm kind of saying the same thing that, uh, that Dogen is saying. 
he's just saying don't picture it as if it's if it's like a thing you know like a like a a real sort of thing that you would see and he wouldn't have thought of a science fiction type laser beam but he thought of a line of white silk so i'm thinking of like a star trek phaser sort of ray beam or godzilla's uh, laser breath or it's not laser it's sort of radioactive breath that comes out of godzilla it's more like laser breath that comes out of king Ghidorah. if you're a, a japanese monster dork you know what i'm talking about if you're not don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, moving right along, uh, Dogen via me says, the whole universe is the East. I put that in quotes. And the East is called the whole universe. This is the basis upon which the universe exists. And we hear the words it uses to proclaim itself as the whole universe as, and then in quotes, the 18,000 Buddha lands. And let me read you what Nishijima and Cross have there, just so we can compare and contrast. They have, The whole universe in ten directions is nothing other than the East. The East is called the whole universe in ten directions. On this basis, the whole universe in ten directions exists. And the words by which it proclaims itself as the whole universe in ten directions, we hear as the sound of the 18,000 Buddha lands. So, you know, I, I didn't do much there. I actually thought I'd better read you the Nishijima Cross version because I, I was thinking, oh boy, did I, did I change that a lot? But I didn't. So, what the heck does that mean? Well, you know, I don't know. Illuminating the East, the the original phrase, let's see, let's go backward. The, this light illuminates the 18,000 Buddha lands to the East. You know, this light is, what he's talking about is the light of the self. The, the light of the self is our light. It's your light, the light of you listening to this. The light that is... He's using light as the metaphor for the self, the the experience, the existence, the I amness of of you, of me. So the beingness that is me, that is you, that is everyone in the universe, is is illuminating the 18,000 Buddha lands to the east, which is the entire universe, which is, which is making all of this, all of this. And, and you can't see me gesturing because this is audio, but I'm gesturing towards all of this, which happens to be my kitchen. Not my kitchen, sorry, it's my dining room. And my kitchen's over there, but it doesn't matter, uh, where I'm recording this right now. So, all of this is everything. So, what he's saying is pretty mind-blowing. You know, so I hope none of you are on any sort of hard drugs while you're listening to this. Because what he's saying is that you are creating all of this. So, everything that exists is being created right now by you, by the illumination of your I amness. But it's not your individual I amness. See, that's the, the tricky thing. That would be, uh, I think the philosophical word is solipsism. But I'm not, uh, I, I lasted exactly one semester as a philosophy major, and I had to change majors because I couldn't understand what was going on there. I was really interested in philosophy. I mean, it, it and this is what I've devoted my life to, is, is uh, Buddhism and, and writing these silly books about Dogen and, and all this stuff, and I spend all my time reading this. But when it comes to the way Western philosophy is phrased with words about words like solipsism and epistemology and you know all this other stuff, I could just couldn't wrap my head around that stuff. So don't trust me when it comes to this. But it's not the idea that that you know this idea of like a brain in a jar manufacturing a world or something like that, or that you as an individual are creating the world. It's not that. But it is that this this sort of consciousness, this sort of beingness that we all partake in, that we all have and share, is what creates the universe. That's what he's saying. It's kind of crazy. So, 
next up, Dogen is going to tell us a story. And uh, you're welcome very much because I've shortened this story a lot. Uh, in the original version, I'm sort of going back and forth looking at my version and looking at the Nishijima Cross version. The Nishijima Cross version, as I've as I keep saying, preserves everything that Dogen says. And he gives you a lot of background and a lot of stuff that I think for most of us doesn't matter because he's he's telling you all kinds of background about this emperor and who who his sons were and who his father was and all this stuff and what his pen name was <laughs> kind of all kind of crazy details that don't really matter and what I've done with the t- with the story is just kind of thrown away most of the details of of these extraneous details that to me seem kind of irrelevant that Dogen puts in and uh, just tried to to cut it down to what I think is the the heart of the story the story that's actually being told so if you want to go back to a standard translation and read all that stuff and if, if you think it's important then then great I feel a little bit bad taking all this stuff out to be honest because you know, Dogen obviously thought it was important enough to put in. I just feel like, to me, when I read all that weird old Chinese history, it just gets in the way. So, I'm going to read you the story, and uh, and I'm going to just plow right through the story, and then maybe I'll I'll uh, comment on it when we when we get finished. So, here's the story. Okay, a long time ago. There was a Chinese emperor called Kenso, who reigned from 806 until 821 CE. Once this emperor requested some relics of the Buddha to be brought to his palace. The story goes that at night these relics glowed in the dark. Just like this, I used to have this Godzilla model when I was a kid that glowed in the dark. It was the coolest thing. Anyway, that's what I think of when I when I hear this story. The emperor was pretty excited about all this. The next morning, all but one of his retainers wrote him letters saying stuff like, Congratulations, emperor. It's because you're so virtuous that the sacred relics glowed in the dark. I wonder if it's because I was so virtuous that my Godzilla model glowed in the dark. I don't know. The one retainer who didn't congratulate the emperor was a guy named Bunko, who had studied some Buddhism. And Dogen gives you so much background on Bunko that it's ridiculous, but I I eliminated all that. So, here we go. The emperor asked him why he didn't write a letter of congratulations. Bunko said, I've read in Buddhist texts that the Buddha's light isn't blue, yellow, red, or white. This glow was just the light of the dragon god that protects you. The emperor asked Bunko, what's the Buddha's light? Bunko didn't answer. Even though Bunko was a lay person, he had the mind of a real practitioner. We should all hope to have an attitude like his. Nevertheless, if I could say something to Bunko, this is Dogen talking, I'd ask him how he understood the words, the Buddha's light isn't blue, yellow, red, or white. If you know that when you see colored lights, they aren't the Buddha's light, then you should never see the Buddha's light as colored light. If the emperor had been a Buddhist, he might have questioned Bunko like that. Okay, so that's an interesting story. And I I think the reason that Dogen tells this story is because, you know, people in his day were very impressed by this kind of stuff. And really, people even now are very impressed by this kind of stuff. I mean, I... When I do the rounds of speaking to 
different groups who are interested in, in my books. One of the things I often get invited to do is go speak at New Age bookstores. I think I've even talked about this on this particular series in this podcast already, uh, I think, maybe the first episode. And and I, I have fun at New Age bookstores. I'm not putting them down. I kind of like them. I'll, I'll even go to them for, for fun because I like the little tchotchkes and stuff you can get at new age bookstores and, and places like that. I, I think it's neat. And sometimes they have books about UFOs and I'm always interested in books about UFOs. The new age bookstores always seem to have a little section at the back for UFO stuff. But, you know, you can see people are are very impressed with that kind of thing. And, and I actually have uh, some friends who, who uh, not close friends, but people I kind of know who are unfortunately really impressed by that sort of, uh, that sort of stuff. Uh, they're, they're followers of this teacher who's like a trans-channeled being from 18,000 years ago or some such stuff, you know, and they're always trying to play tapes of this of this trans-channeled being from 18,000 years ago and you know this kind of this kind of weirdo stuff that people often conflate with Buddhism. In fact, the, the particular thing I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, often uh, the this 18,000-year-old trans-channeled being is bringing up stuff related to Buddhism and, and invoking the name of Buddha and, and kind of trying to tie what he said. He, he talks to a woman. that The, the person who trans-channels him is a woman, but he's a man. The, the being supposedly is a male being and it gets very confusing. But anyway, she's she's always invoking Buddha, you know, and 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 so this is often often uh brought up. So so yeah, Dogen is trying to caution his listeners to not be impressed by things like glowing relics of the Buddha. So on that's one level he's he's taking it as, and that's that's kind of the easy level. Uh, the The second sort of level is is where he goes in the in that last paragraph. He says. Uh, nevertheless, if I could say something to Bunko, I'd ask him how he understood the words, the Buddha's light isn't blue, yellow, red, or white. So, if you know that when you see colored lights, they aren't the Buddha's light, okay, so that's the easy part, then you should also never see the Buddha's light as colored light. <laughs> and that's, to me, uh, a more interesting thing, because, you know, to, to me, that gets into that gets into something i think I, I think i'm not even sure exactly what dogen is is saying there to to be perfectly honest uh, he could be saying something like you know this this world we're seeing around us is colored light you know that's that's a lot of what we see around us. I mean that you know when we when we just get right down to it I'm actually sitting at a table a my dining room table and on the table is a blue vase with some flowers that I bought my wife for Valentine's Day and Valentine's Day was a few days ago and now the flowers are kind of wilted and and uh, not looking quite as nice as they did a few days ago but the the blue vase is What's what my eye is responding to is colored light. So he's saying I should never see the Buddha's light as colored light. So I'm seeing colored light and that's the Buddha's light. So I'm going to have to wrestle with that one. And maybe maybe you folks out there should wrestle with it too, because I think Dogen is pointing at something deeper there. So first he's saying... The easy thing, like don't be fooled by seeing, you know, uh, colored glowing relics and think, oh, that's evidence of the Buddha because I saw some glowing thing. You know, don't think that glow in the dark Godzilla model is evidence of of uh, the Buddha's divine light. Okay, easy one. Uh, but then he's also saying that when we see the world around us, we're seeing the Buddha's divine light, but we're seeing 
seeing it as colored light. So, hmm, interesting. Uh, and he says, if the emperor had been a Buddhist, he might have questioned Bunko like that. Now, Dogen goes on, and maybe this is his explanation, so let's, let's read it. Uh, this is my paraphrase, so here we go. Here's the deal. The light is everything, like absolutely every everything. Now you can tell this is me paraphrasing Dogen, but let's keep going. Nothing is added and nothing is taken away. In Buddhism, we sometimes talk about there being five worlds or six worlds. These are the worlds of hell, hungry ghosts, regular demons, fighting demons, animals, and gods. Now, I put that in there because Dogen just says five worlds or six worlds. He doesn't tell you what they are because his listeners would have known, but since contemporary Western people don't know, I put those in there. The light we're talking about is all of those places and everyone and everything in them. It's even the beings, things, and places you can't express in words. One way to express this light is to ask the question, how is it that mountains, rivers, and the earth appear at this very moment? So that's an interesting question. How is it that mountains, rivers, and the earth appear at this moment? Uh, he, Dogen's uh, original question or original version in the uh, Nishima Cross translation is, how is it the mountains, rivers, and the earth suddenly appear? So I just made it at this very moment, suddenly. I'm not sure the exactly exact Japanese uh, version. Uh, I'll just read you the, the bit of the text. Um, in summary, the brightness which is utterly clear, this is Nishijima cross version, by the way. In summary, the brightness which is utterly clear is the hundred weeds. A hundred weeds just means various things. The brightness of the hundred weeds is already their roots, stems, twigs, leaves, flowers, fruit, light, and color. It is never something added or t added on or taken away. There is the brightness of the five worlds and the brightness of the six worlds. Perhaps this is just the place where the ineffable exists. The expression which explains light and explains brightness might be, how is it that mountains, rivers, and the earth suddenly appear? So that's the uh, Nishijima Cross translation, which, as I always say, is about as close as you're going to get to being able to read or hear uh, Dogen's original Japanese uh, uh, with magic glasses or magic headphones that make you able to suddenly understand medieval Japanese. So that's what he actually said, as close as you're going to get to, you know, the original Japanese. So how is it that mountains, rivers, and the earth appear at this very moment, suddenly appear. He's, he's saying something, again, really profound. And, and like I said uh, a few minutes ago, I hope none of you listening to this are on heavy drugs right now, because this is really mind-blowing. He's saying that at this moment, mountains, rivers, and the earth appear. So, well, I don't have my windows open, or I could see some some mountains. I can't see any rivers, but uh, but there are some mountains. Well, if I tilt my head just a little bit, but I'd, I'd be out of microphone range, and you wouldn't hear me very well. I can see the mountains over there because uh, I live in in uh, Upland, California, and I'm pretty close to Mount Baldy in the mountain range over there. Maybe you can't see mountains where you are. Maybe you see some other things. But this world that appears in front of us appears suddenly, snaps his finger. Uh, we imagine that this world has been here, you know, I don't know how what science tells us right now. I always forget. Is it four billion years? Or, or I don't know how many billion years the Earth is supposed to have existed. You know, it... it 6,000 years is what the uh, the early Christians used to say, and then we keep extending that further and further back uh, to, to longer and longer ago. So, you know, it's been here a long time, you suffice it to say. 
And so we assume that we come into the the stage, let's just take me for an example, you can do your own math. You know, I appeared on this earth 58 years ago, and the earth had already existed for a long time, and I've existed for 58 years, and and everything's been here, and, uh, you know, all these things happened before I got here, and blah, blah, blah. And the dinosaurs lived and died before I got here, and woolly mammoths and trilobites, and uh, I don't know, uh, you know, all these other things existed, and the earth formed out of a molten blob, and the moon. That's always a fascinating one. There was a there was a time a few years ago when I just got so into finding, you know, all on all the streaming services, looking at the science documentaries, and I would find every science documentary I could about the formation of the moon. <laughs> so if you want something, I don't know if you're interested in this kind of thing. The formation of the moon is really interesting to me because uh, the new theories about how the moon formed from uh, the Earth crashing into a Mars. Mars-sized planet that no longer exists because the Earth crashed into it, and then the uh, the debris uh, from the two planets uh, spewed out and then coalesced uh, into the moon, uh, which uh, settled into an orbit around the Earth. It's really some crazy stuff. So we assume all this stuff happened long before we got here. Well, Dogen is saying... That might be one way to look at it, and that way of looking at it isn't necessarily wrong because you can make a a good case for that way of looking at things. And we're not anti-science, and we're not going to sit here trying to prove, you know, that our religious book is better and that science is all bunk or any of that, and I don't want to get into any of that kind of nonsense. But... We are also saying that, yeah, you could do all that stuff and say it happened a bazillion years ago and the earth formed and blah, 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 you know, like I just finished saying. But right here, (laughs) this minute, it all suddenly appeared. Uh, That's also true. And that's also in its own way undeniable. It just suddenly appears. And he's saying, uh, let's see, the expression which explains light and explains brightness. So he's explaining all of it to us. The expression which explains it is, how is it that mountains, rivers, and earth suddenly appear? So the explanation is a question. So rather than, this this is really interesting. This is what, to me, makes Zen Buddhism so cool. (laughs) You know, Other religions will give you a pile of books. I remember when I got into the Hare Krishna movement, I was never a member of the Hare Krishna movement, but I was really interested in them. And my God, there are piles and piles of books you can get from them, which will explain the origin of the universe and life and everything. And and there are there are shelves of of these books that that explain how everything came to be and 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 the whole history of it and and all of this, you know, and and. You can just go on endlessly, and and Hare Krishnas are not the only ones. I mean, my God, contemporary science is also also full of that stuff, and and uh, and it's become. I know this is controversial to say, but it's become a kind of a religion uh, for some people these days. I, I don't want to get into an argument about that. Suffice it to say, there are a lot of people these days who take science as a kind of religion. I don't want to say science is a religion because I know there's a big difference between the scientific method and the way religions are, are taught. And I, I agree that there is a big difference. But there is a way that science is kind of received as as religious doctrine. There's a lot of people who will take the science without examining any any of any of it, without actually doing the scientific method. They just receive the doctrines of science as if as if they're receiving the doctrines of religion. So so in that when you do it like that, it might as well be a religion. That's kind of my point there. And and in that case there's there's also pounds and pounds of stuff. So Buddhism says, okay, yeah, whatever, to all of that, and says, here's the answer to the question. The answer to the question 
or the, the, the explanation, sorry, here's the full explanation. The full explanation is not a shelf full of books. The full explanation of life, the universe, and everything is this question. How is it that mountains, rivers, and the earth appear at this very moment? <laughs> That's your explanation. You know, which is like, what are you going to do with that? When I first started studying Zen, that's what I was faced with. I'm, I'm, I'm there as a 19-year-old trying to figure out life, the universe, and everything. And I've looked at a lot of it already. At by that time, I'd I'd already been, you know, searching through a lot of stuff, even even at that age. And I'd come across it, and I knew the general sort of outline of of a lot of answers that were were out there. I could kind of figure out where it was all going, even if I didn't know the particulars. You know, I kind of knew that here's a mountain of of stuff that comes, you know, courtesy of the Bible, and here's the people that say Jesus said this, you know, and here's a bunch of people who say science says this, and it's backed up by experiments and you know whatnot, and we can go, okay, that's great, and and here's a bunch of other stuff, and you know, and and. And it's backed up by what Muhammad said. And I can go, okay, well, Muhammad said this. And I can kind of go, what, what is all this? And then I come across Zen Buddhism and it says, okay, you want the real answer. The real answer is, how is it the mountains, rivers, and the earth suddenly appear? And I go, that's your answer? And they, and they go, yeah, that's our answer. And I go, oh, that's an interest to me. That was an interesting answer. And it maybe it must be an interesting answer to you because you're still listening to this damn podcast 45 minutes into it. <laughs> so so lucky you. But uh, but that's I, that's how Buddhism leaves you. It leaves you kind of hanging. It doesn't give you an answer. That's the point I'm trying to make. It doesn't it doesn't actually spell anything out to you. It says your answer is this question. And this question doesn't have an answer. It doesn't, it, 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 it doesn't even need an answer. It just needs to be a question. So that's, that's what it goes. So, but Dogen doesn't stop there with this essay, and I'm not going to stop there. Let's, um, let's read some more. He goes, uh, this is again Dogen paraphrased by me. We should take the time to really dig into Chosa's words, the whole universe is the light of the self. So we're, we're doing a callback right to the beginning of that poem at the beginning of the essay. We must learn the self which is light as the entire universe. Life and death, coming and going, are the coming and going of the light. To go beyond ordinariness and sacredness are the purple and the crimson of the light. Becoming a Buddha and becoming one of the Buddhist saints are the black and the gold of the light. It is not that there's no practice and no enlightenment. It's just that you can't separate them into a means and an end. Now that is, uh, I don't, um, I don't remember exactly who said it. I think maybe Bodhidharma is credited with it. Uh, it probably doesn't matter to most people listening to this. And maybe I'll look it up before the next podcast and try to find the answer for you. But um, it's it's an old Buddhist phrase that there's no it's not that there's no practice in enlightenment it's just you can't separate the means and ends and the the point of that phrase is that people usually think of it this way they usually think that you do zazen this is kind of the way uh traditionally it's thought of in the rinzai form of zen although in deference to my friend uh shozan jack haubner who i like a lot who's a rinzai practitioner uh, it's not always this way in Rinzai, and it's certainly not that this way with the, the stream of Rinzai Zen that he studied in. But kind of the stereotypical Rinzai Zen idea is that you practice Zazen 
to reach enlightenment. So Zazen is the means and enlightenment or Satori or Kensho sometimes is the word, is the end. I, I just was reading something by one of these guys who believes it works this way, who said uh, that you have to do 100 hours, no, sorry, not hours, days. You have to do 100 days of Sashin, which is kind of a Buddhist intensive practice. You know, the kind of thing where you uh, get up at uh, three or four in the morning and then you do your zazen all day and you eat and sleep and defecate zazen for a week at a time or whatever. And according to this guy, you have to do 100 hours, uh, sorry, 100 days of zazen practice in order to have your first kensho experience, your first enlightenment experience. And then you have to do 400 more days of sashin practice in order to bring that to fruition. I don't know where he got this formula. I really hope that this is not something that, that people actually believe. I don't know. Apparently, this is something that people say out in the world of Zen Buddhists or, or some Buddhists and... It's all nonsense. But it's this idea of using Zen or Zazen practice as a means, and the end is Kensho or enlightenment. And it's very traditional. And I don't know why this guy who said this. I, I don't know how he could have practiced as long as he has practiced because he's a guy who's practiced he's older than me and he's I assume practiced longer than me how he could have practiced that long and not come across this. But the idea is there is no, it's not that there's no practice in enlightenment. It's just, you can't separate them into means and ends. So your practice is your enlightenment. This was Dogen's uh, big message that, that Zazen is enlightenment. So it's, it's not that you practice in order to attain enlightenment at the end of your practice. It's that your practice is the enactment of enlightenment. So each time you sit Zazen, that is the enactment of of your enlightenment experience. It's not that you're trying to save up all your zazens in order to get enlightenment. So that's what he's saying there. Now, there, there's a bit in here that I'm going to, again, be honest with you and say I don't understand. I, I don't get what he's saying about why he's saying uh, the purple and crimson and the black and gold, you know, the, the, the purple and crimson of the light and the black and gold of the light, because he's, he's just gone on and on about, you know, why it's not colored light and all this stuff. So I'm not sure precisely what that means. So I tend to just kind of blow over that. But he's saying we must learn the self, which is light as the entire universe. So that I think is his main point. So he's He's saying that our self is the universe. Life and death coming and going are the coming and going of the light. To go beyond ordinariness and sacredness are the purple and crimson of light. Becoming a Buddha and becoming one of the Buddhist saints are the black and gold of light. I think these are just, when he's saying the, these different colors of the light, these are just kind of nuances of the light. These are just things that happen to the light. But the light itself is what's truly important. The light of the self is what's truly important. Let's see if we can just get another paragraph out of that before it's time to end this podcast. Here we go. Ordinary, everyday things like grass, trees, fences, and walls, and the various states of understanding, these are the colors of the light. I think that's what I just said. Smoke, mist, water, and stone, the paths of birds through the sky, and the mysterious way to awakening, these are the changing cycles of the light. To see and hear about this light is proof of having directly encountered and met the Buddha. So, Ordinary things in the various states of understanding, these are the colors of light. So, the light, the light of the self is, is the universe. And the things that we see are, are the colors of the light. So, our, our experiences in the universe, the world we're seeing, the actual things that we encounter are the colors of the light, are the, are the nuances of this one great light. So, all of these things he, he mentions, we could mention other things. He mentions grasses, trees, fences, and walls, smoke, mist, water, and stone, paths of birds to the sky, mysterious way of awakening. Um, 
These are are nice things, you know. If I was more snarky, I I could uh, you know I could go uh, I don't know Doritos and pancakes and uh, Homer Simpsons and uh, dinosaur toys. I'm just looking at things I have around the house, you know. These are the goofy things I have sitting around here: vases of flowers, uh, a bottle of vitamins sitting on the table for some reason because I haven't put it away yet. Um, you know, stuff like that. And Anything that you see are the are the colors of the light, are the are the transformations and transmutations of this essential light of the self. Everything you see, everything you hear, everything you encounter are transmutations of this great universal oneness of 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 this light. So he's saying something like I, I I'm gonna say it for the third time. I think it's the third time. I hope nobody's on heavy drugs while you're listening to this because this is some deep and profound and interesting stuff he's saying here. Everything we encounter, everything we do, everything we say, everything we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, whatever, are transmutations of this one wonderful universal light. And the last thing he says in this paragraph, I think, is really I just, I love it. It's really profound. And I think this is where I'm going to end the podcast for today. Uh, to see and hear about this light is proof of having directly encountered and met the Buddha. That to me is is really uplifting because he's saying that just the fact that you were hearing about this, that you're listening to this podcast, you know, that would be the example in your life, dear listener. The fact that you're listening to this podcast is proof of having directly encountered and met the Buddha, which is not me trying to say, I'm the Buddha. But when I read that, what I get from it is, is, gosh, amazing luck. You know, how many people directly meet and encounter the Buddha? Not many. You know, I happen to luck into meeting a guy named Tim McCarthy when I was 18 or 19 years old, when I was a student at Kent State University, and I encountered Buddhism, and I encountered what I I know to be the best form of Buddhism. It wasn't just Buddhism, which I think is the best philosophy and practice that humankind has yet come up with. I encountered the pinnacle version of that, I, and and I don't know how I got so lucky. And I got lucky enough that I was in the right place in the right time to find a teacher who could explain it to me in words that I could understand and that I could make sense of and and that I was able to make sense of it. You know, that's wonderful. And here you are, dear reader, I don't know how, or listener, I don't know how you came across this podcast, but you did. And even if, even if this whole thing has sounded goofy to you, you know, even if it's, even if it's boggled your mind and twisted your noggin and you've thought, I don't know what the hell Brad's talking about, and it sounds weird, and and I'm not getting it, or I feel like uh, I'm I'm miles away from understanding it, or I haven't had any sort of Kensho experience or Satori, you know, like that guy I was talking about, was writing about in his stupid article that I read last week, you know, and you haven't had any experiences like that, and you're feeling down. Just remember, you've encountered this stuff. Just the fact that you've encountered this stuff is proof of having directly met the Buddha. You have directly met the Buddha. This is it. This is you meeting the Buddha. You know, I don't know how you did it. I don't know how I did it, but we did it, you know, and, and I think that's great. And, um, Good luck to us. You know, I, I hope we we manage, and I think we will. There are times when I feel like, uh, you know, I'm not getting this. Even now, I, I've had, you know, my experiences, and I've met my teacher, and I've had the Dharma transmission, and I've had some mind-blowing experiences uh, here and there with Buddhism. And there are days when I feel like, oh, my God, I'm just not. I'm just not getting it. I'm just knocking my head against the brick wall and this is not working. But 
Then I read something in Dogen that says, uh, just to hear about this is proof of having directly encountered and met the Buddha. And I think, you know, he's probably right. You know, that's amazing. Like I told you, I know I got friends who, who are still uh, impressed by uh, some lady who claims to channel an 18,000-year-old dead Egyptian something or other. I don't think, I don't know if he's Egyptian or what he is, but you know, that kind of stuff. And, and they're still laboring under that and, and, uh, they're not at all interested in what I have to say. So, you know, they're not interested in Dogen. They're not interested in any of this stuff. So you're interested in it. So congrats. And I think that's a good place to end this in this uh, episode of the podcast. So, as I said at the beginning, if you want to make a donation to support this podcast, that's how I make it happen. You can go to the URL hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is hardcorezen.info slash donate. That's where you can find links to my PayPal and my Patreon accounts. As I said at the beginning, as I always say, those are my main and my usually only ways of making a living and I appreciate your support but as always you don't got to support me if you don't want to support me because I offer this for free so we will see you next time have a good time all the time later bye <laughs>